Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Brian Watt. From misinformation at the start of the pandemic to vaccine hesitancy now, the black community has battled through extra layers of COVID-19. And that is why Umoja Health, a partnership that includes a dozen nonprofit organizations, UCSF and public health departments, stepped in. Working together, this group leveraged community activism to bring testing and vaccinations to underserved neighborhoods. And we're going to talk about these efforts now with Dr. Dr. Kim Rhodes, Associate Director for Community Engagement at the UCSF Cancer Center, and Kevin Epps, filmmaker, documentary filmmaker extraordinaire from San Francisco. He made Straight Out of Hunter's Point, and he's a community organizer, other films as well, community organizer with Umoja Health. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. We're, we're glad to have both of you. And we also want to know from you, everyone listening, if you have been reluctant to get vaccinated, if you feel like you've been misinformed about COVID-19, can you please give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Um, do we have Dr. Rhodes? I want to make sure you're with us. Yes, I am. Thanks for covering this topic. Oh, absolutely. We're glad to have you. I, I want to go back to the beginning. You see the coronavirus coming. You know this is going to have its own set of issues in the black community. Can you take us back to your first thoughts as, as you decided that there needed to be an Umud, sorry, an Umoja Health effort? <clears throat> Yeah, well, actually, our, our first thoughts uh, preceded Umoja Health by several months, um, and also um, <clears throat> the efforts that we initially made were in San Francisco, and that's where Kevin and I um, first started working together. Um, as the director of the Office of Community Engagement for the Cancer Center, we often disseminate and distribute cancer information to our community partners and our community advisory board, which has been together for about 15 years. But when the pandemic hit in March, uh, we started to get more requests for information about COVID and, and fewer requests for information about cancer. And what we realized was we were able to aggregate uh, the presentations by the Asian Health Institute at UCSF and the Latino Center of Excellence at UCSF. And then when we would get to what are we putting out for African-American people, we were like, there's nothing here that's specific for our community. Um, and so that's when we really got um, activated and motivated around uh, what needed to be done potentially in the African-American community led by uh, African-American faculty members. Mm. And so, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. keep, yeah. No, please continue. 
Well, so um, coming off of, uh, uh, I believe it was in April, the study that came out of the mission by one of our um, other faculty colleagues, Dr. Diane Havlier, really showing the, the social drivers behind the distribution of COVID, where um, Latinx folks in the mission were highly impacted by infection, but the uh, white residents in the mission were not. Mm -hmm. um, the idea came about to start another initiative and to look at the same kinds of patterns to see if they were present in Bayview, Hunters Point and Sunnydale. Um, using the partnerships that we already had from the Cancer Center um, to do the work in uh, Bayview uh, initially with uh, Rafiki Wellness Coalition and the Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates, that's when they really pointed to uh, the need to have someone who was local, who had experience that people knew and respected to get engaged with the effort to um, start testing in the African-American community. And that's how Kevin and I uh, got connected. Well, I, I want Kevin to talk about himself. I, my question for you was, Kevin Epps, why do you think Dr. Rhodes and company came to you? Well, as she mentioned, thanks for having me. As she mentioned, uh, you know, the partnerships and having stakeholders at the tables, particularly the community component into this initiative was her and the vision that they had of reimagining how we can address these health equity and the systemic history of what has happened in those communities in a way that people were at the table and people feel ownership of this work that was set forth. And so that's where me and Dr. Rose, who's been an incredible leader and very committed to serving the needs of the underserved in black communities and communities of color in general has really led that effort in allowing for us to leverage the relationships and being trusted messengers in these communities to help and assist and, you know, informing, educating, and, you know, really having real conversations in the community on the ground with folks and helping uh, dispel some of the myths and misinformation mm. that was out there. And also being able to address, you know, the health, the history of the health, disparities and you know disadvantages that go into you know all the things that have happened throughout you know time right what did that look like setting up these very first conversations in these communities what what was that i i've read it's pretty old school there's nothing sort of socially media um astute about it you just needed to get out there but what did it look like it looks like just being committed and having people who really care and have a real genuine concern about the health and wellness of our community. And so it's about spending time on the ground and really having real conversations with, with people on the corner and people, you know, communities on the blocks and being repetitive and being able to build that trust and not just be a one-off where they come in and they, you know, get what they need and they pull out, but actually following up and connecting and addressing and providing resources for information or follow up information or questions that people may answer. Mm -hmm. And really uh, having Dr. Rose at the helm, really leading with science and information that was relevant and credible. So having someone like her as a source and a resource to be able to understand the 
to help the science of this language and be able to convey that in the layman term to the community was very effective and it's very important. Dr. Rhodes, let me ask you about setting up those first testing sites in black communities. What needed to be different at these sites? Um, Well, what we learned from the work in Bayview and Sunnydale was that when you put up a mass testing site, you don't really get the people that you might be looking for when you're uh, working in the African-American community. For example, we expected, based on where we were located, to get about 38% African-American participants in the initial mass testing in San Francisco. Um, Mm. But what we got was about 29%. Um, what we had more of was were white testers who were coming from outside of the area. We mm. expected to see about 4% of them, but we saw 17 to 20%. Um, but when we went back into the community at the request of the community, and I think that reflects on some of the things that, that Kevin just mentioned about continuing to be there in conversation, in dialogue, and developing relationship, um, and the, the pandemic provided an interesting platform for that because Zoom suddenly was a way where we really could come together on a regular basis um, safely. The community asked us to come back and do a pop-up testing during a family day in Sunnydale. And what we saw there was by popping up literally on Sunnydale Avenue, we saw neighbors coming out, getting tested, and then going back to their neighbors, knocking on doors and saying, hey, testing is here. And in doing that, we saw 63% of our testers were African-American. Ah. So, when we were, so when we were asked to come over to Oakland um, to help in Fruitvale and then in Deep East Oakland, and that's where Omoja really was born, was in Deep East Oakland with those partners, we decided instead of doing a mass testing where we had you know, already learned that you may not reach exactly who you're hoping to reach, we decided to pivot Um, And it's interesting that your first speakers were about the fires, but the lightning strikes in August that caused the fires caused us to cancel our plan for mass testing. And it was at that point where we pivoted to the pop-up model and uh, really decided to go deep looking into which census tract had high proportions of African-American residents, turning to our partners and asking where do African-American people congregate? Where would they normally be hanging out? and popping up testing in those locations. Hmm. Um, And so through that effort, we were able to to make sure that our resources went to 57% um, African-American participants. Um, And of those, 60% were first-time COVID testers. And Hmm. at at this point, we were in September. So we were several months into the pandemic. And so we were able to reach people who really had not been engaged in the process of um, testing for COVID, and mitigating COVID. And I think a big part of why it was appealing, what we did was we were taking it right into the community. We weren't asking people to come to a clinic that they may not trust in order to have a, a nasal swab, which was another aspect of the testing that was unappealing um, to our community. Mm. And then also the fact that when people tested positive, we provided wraparound services or community wellness team services. So that meant a case management call from someone in the community, from one of our community partners on a daily basis to check on symptoms and to link directly to medical advice if that was needed, to provide personal protective um, equipment, masks, hand sanitizers, 
um, cleaning supplies for the house and advice on how to keep other people in the house safe um, if someone was infected with COVID and then delivery of groceries, which Mm. was an effort to try to mitigate the spread by keeping people or giving people the resources to stay home. Mm. One listener has written in saying, I was so disturbed to hear about vaccine sites set up in underserved communities like ones in Oakland, having people from outside the community and mostly white taking the vaccines that were allocated for these underserved communities. Why was that allowed to happen? I want to ask you, Dr. Rhodes, why that is, and then ask Kevin Epps, like what that looked like at his level when he was there. Well, so I first want to point out that that is not something that happens at Umoja Health because we're very deliberate about how we uh, message and market um, what we're doing. And I think Kevin can really speak um, very uh, on an experiential level to that. Um, But that did happen in, again, larger venues like the Coliseum, um, like the federal setups that were happening in Los Angeles. And the reason that it happens is because even though these uh, locations for testing and for vaccination are set up in the community that they're meant to reach, they're often set up in ways that are uninviting to that community, Mm. whether it's putting a a technological barrier in front, requiring a registration, uh, whether it's requiring that you have a car because it's a drive through whether it's like what happened at the Coliseum, you shut down the walkway from the BART into the Coliseum, which is the cultural norm um, in that neighborhood and in that zip code of how you get into the Coliseum. So these uh, types of structural barriers actually favor people with cars and computers. Um, And that may not be the community participants that we're hoping to reach. So Mm. what we do at our sites, and part of the reason it doesn't happen that way, is that we don't require that you pre-register. We only require that we have your name on our list to get a vaccine that day. When you arrive there, we do all the technological pieces. We take care of all of that. Um, And again, we try to set up in locations where people could walk from their homes to our site. Um, We were actually quite lucky when we were testing because we had the support of Mayor Schaaf who actually changed the parameters and the rules around where testing could be set up. Again, Mm -hmm. another structural barrier that would have prevented really truly deeply um, uh, neighborhood embedded testing sites. So the reason that other people come from outside the neighborhood to get these resources is because they can and because the systems are actually and structures are set up to facilitate them getting the vaccine. And that's what's different about Emoja Health because our structures are specifically set up to reach our uh, target communities in the codes that are hardest hit and in racial and ethnic minority groups and demographics that have suffered under the burden of COVID and COVID mortality. And Kevin Epps in Hunters Point, Bayview, what did that look like just in terms of people from the outside showing up to get what they heard was there? Well, our focus and my focus and was about really leveraging community capital. So really focusing on the communities that we have an interest in serving. So having that pinpoint focus and not only having that, but with those community partners that are deeply rooted in those communities, community-based organizations, faith-based group, nonprofits and other youth groups who we were able to hire some young people from these specific communities that are from there, that are familiar with the community and really 
have a concerted effort to promoting more like guerrilla promotion, the old school way, like a political campaign. Right. Going out into these communities and being on the ground and passing out flyers and also doing other way, you know, other ways in terms of like social media and other channels, but really being out there, spending lots and lots of time on the ground in communities and really giving that personal attention to, you know, the black community because the community have been harmed and there is skepticism, but by us committing ourselves and really taking that concerted effort and approach to really engage in conversation and follow-up conversation and resources and information and holding true to the integrity of what we envision Emoja to be and how we really wanted to care about the community. And so that's where uh, the promotion and the outreach and the consistent and the repetitiveness comes in. And let me jump in a lot of conversations. Yeah. Let me ask you, because we actually have a listener comment in question about skepticism. They want advice from both of you on how to convince a family member who is reluctant to get a vaccine to get vaccinated because there is so much skepticism. Uh, Kevin, will you share your insight? And then I'm sure Dr. Rhodes has hers. Well, my insight is based on taking a cue from the leadership from a science perspective. And that's where Dr. Rhodes come in. And so by having those conversations and being part of Emoja and getting the information and, you know, the insight and understanding that I needed, from the science and Dr. Rose and that uh, apparatus allowed for me to go out and share some information that was more credible and had, had some validity. And so by being able to have access to that important information, I felt, tr- I felt I can go out and convey, uh, you know, attitude and a spirit of trust to the community and also allow for them to follow up or call or text or email with any questions they may have Mm. and being able to dispel some of the skepticism is making sure that people like myself have gotten vaccinated. And that was a really big question. Some people like, well, you're pushing this. Have you been vaccinated? And so, you know, just to be able to convey with a sense of confidence that yes, I trust this. I have got vaccinated. All right. That's where we started. Okay. Dr. Rhodes, I've got about a minute, but can just tell me what, Quickly, you're trying to convince me. No more skepticism. Do it. What are you saying? Well, first of all, I'm I'm not trying to convince you. Ah, I'm trying to provide information. I stand correct. And, I, and, and I'm effectively trying, you know, what we try to do in Emoja Health is overturn the paternalism of healthcare and public health, which is a pretty clear that they know what you need and they don't really care how that impacts on your life. And I'm not saying they don't care from a heart perspective. I'm saying they don't have time to prioritize that or we haven't made time to prioritize. And I think what's critically important is this idea of we talk about trust and there's this conversation about how do we develop trust like in the next two weeks? Well, we can't. We have 400 years of history of a relationship that includes some untrustworthy behavior. Got it. Okay. Dr. Kim Rhodes, Associate Director of Community Engagement for UCSF Cancer Center, documentary filmmaker Kevin Epps with Umoja Health. Thank you both. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.